This podcast discusses cases in which a crime may have occurred. It's important to advise that all parties mentioned or generally referred to on dirty money moves are presumed innocent until proven guilty by law. Opinions and viewpoints expressed on this podcast don't necessarily reflect those of the podcast host, Murderish, or Cloud10 Media. In the last episode, we talked in detail about Tara's extensive history of fraud and numerous civil judgments that had been levied against her, which dramatically affected her finances for years to come. We left off in 2008, with Tara and her husband Jeremy moving into a new house on Lowell Street in Roseville, Michigan, with their growing family. Just seven months after buying the home, they had somehow been able to drop $30,000 in one day to pay Tara's restitution, which stemmed from two felony fraud cases in 2005. Tara had intentionally defrauded over 20 businesses that year, writing bad check after bad check. She was working on finishing her probation for those charges, part of which was to undergo mental health treatment, presumably to work on changing her behavior before she was beyond help. And maybe it was actually working. Maybe Tara was beginning to see the error of her ways, because even though her wages were still being garnished due to a huge civil judgment, there were some reasons to be hopeful. Tara and Jeremy had three healthy kids, steady jobs, and a future that wasn't set. Really, anything was possible. Even Tara's childhood dreams of becoming a bigwig corporate lawyer in New York. All she had to do was keep her head down, follow the rules, and use her people skills for good rather than harm. But was she even capable of doing that? By the time 2014 rolled around, there had been a few more financial setbacks, but it seemed like Tara made some positive steps toward changing her life. She'd gone to school, gotten a degree, and was taking control of her finances by working multiple jobs, one of which was in the legal field. But like she wrote in her blog in 2017, the Lord had other plans for her, plans that would absolutely change her life and destroy countless others in the process. From Murderish and Cloud 10 Media, this is Dirty Money Moves, Women in White Collar Crime, a podcast that dives into one story told over several weekly episodes. In season two, I'm taking you along as I look into a woman with an expensive taste for luxury jewelry and accessories who satisfied her desires by taking money from the vulnerable and disadvantaged. A woman who preyed on the hopes and dreams of hundreds of desperate people destroying countless families for generations to come. A con artist of the worst kind, whose cruelty knew no limits. This is episode two, Merging Families. In an email to journalist Sheila Kolhatkar that was referenced in an October 2021 article in The New Yorker, 
Tara said that she never wanted to facilitate adoptions. What she wanted to do was help at-risk pregnant women understand that there are options for them other than abortion or feeling forced to be a parent when they didn't want to be. Consulting with pregnant women about their options is one thing, but matching birth mothers with prospective adoptive parents and charging tons of money for doing it is another. But that's exactly what Tara did after establishing Always Hope Pregnancy Center, LLC, in October of 2014. To understand exactly how and why Tara started Always Hope, we have to rewind a little bit. In 2009, Tara was working at California Pizza Kitchen, and Jeremy was working as a service technician for a heating and cooling company. They owned a home in Roseville, Michigan, and were raising three kids. During that year, Tara was sued multiple times and had five civil judgments against her for a total of about $5,900. While that's a far cry from the tens of thousands of dollars she'd lost in judgments in years prior, it's still not something to celebrate. The majority of plaintiffs we know about in these cases were leisure companies like Ideal Travel Agency and Just Cruises, both based out of Macomb County. It's pretty amazing that the Lees somehow found the time and money to travel in the middle of the legal and financial tornado they were in at the time. Tara's wages were garnished again in order to pay for the 2009 judgments. Remember, she was already dealing with hundreds of dollars per month in garnishments from a 2005 civil case, likely a good chunk of her income at the time. In 2010, Tara was also sued by a company called Andrew Mark Salon, presumably for services rendered to her at some point. However, that case was dismissed without prejudice, meaning that the plaintiff could refile the lawsuit against her in the future. Sometime in 2010, Tara began attending college online at the University of Phoenix, studying, of all things, criminal justice. For someone interested in a career as a lawyer, getting a degree in criminal justice would be a strong foundation. It was a step in the right direction for Tara, but it also came with more financial burden. Her college tuition would have been at least $5,000 per year, according to finaid.org and taking into account inflation. Tara most likely took out a student loan to help pay for her tuition, especially since her CPK wages were being garnished at the time. During her second year of studies, Tara was the defendant in two more civil cases, one of which involved Comerica Bank, Judgments were awarded against Tara in both cases for a total of about $4,100, adding to her ever-increasing debt. In August of 2011, Tara left CPK and started a new job as a sales consultant for Pure Romance, a multi-level marketing company founded in 1993 that specializes in relationship enhancement. Tara made her own hours and worked from home selling sex toys and beauty products, like the popular Coochie Cream, a woman's shaving aid. She traveled quite a bit during this time, 
bringing Pure Romance products to parties that were set up to sell all of her inventory, and she attended conferences for sales and leadership in places like Ohio and Nevada. But like any other MLM company, consultants for Pure Romance don't make much, if anything. Profits don't really start until you reach director level and have some consultants under you. Even then, the money still isn't great. The average annual earnings for a Pure Romance director in 2019 were only about $23,000, according to the company's income disclosure statement that year, which, quite frankly, may or may not be reliable. It appears Tara achieved director status sometime in 2012, according to her Facebook account, which she used as a tool to push Pure Romance products. She encouraged women to join her team and often thanked clients for helping her reach President's Club, a title that apparently came with a lot of perks and cash bonuses for hitting sales goals set by the company. In a February 24, 2013 Facebook post, Tara said she made $3,809 in profit for that month after only working 30 hours and getting to travel multiple times. Side note, anytime an MLM member uses the word profit to describe their earnings, I take it with a grain of salt, but I digress. It seems like Tara was a great salesperson, which isn't surprising given her ability to talk to people and be relatable. She would definitely have to keep hustling, though, because her wages were still being heavily garnished. During this time, Tara also traveled back and forth to Florida quite a bit for what appears to be personal trips, maybe with Jeremy and the kids, too. It's possible that she had family or friends in Florida at the time, and maybe still does. To make financial matters and life in general even harder for the Lees, in October of 2012, they defaulted on their mortgage for the house on Lowell Street, and the lender foreclosed on the home. The bank took ownership, and Tara and her family moved into a rental house on Susan Court, less than a mile away. Sometime that same year, amid the pure romance sales, the garnishments, and the loss of their home, Tara and Jeremy also adopted their first of two babies. According to the 2021 article in The New Yorker, Melanie Peterson, a woman who had a failed adoption with Always Hope, said that Tara would often tell a story about how she came to adopt her babies, but the story sounded highly unlikely. Apparently, Tara met the mother of her adopted children by chance one day at a picnic, and then... Two weeks later, the woman just showed up at Tara's front door and asked her to adopt her child. It seemed like there was more to this story, but when the journalist asked Tara to tell her about the adoption, Tara refused to speak about it. Instead, she diverted and talked about wanting to help at-risk pregnant women with their options because she was pro-life. The implication was that her own adoption story led to Tara wanting to help pregnant women which is ultimately where the idea for Always Hope Pregnancy Center came from. It's an idyllic story for sure, and could actually be part of the reason that Tara started the business, if it's true. 
But it would be foolish to ignore the fact that Tara was up to her eyeballs in debt and that the private adoption business is both highly lucrative and extremely unregulated. The perfect combination for someone with selfish motives. According to a 2021 Time article about the private adoption industry, at any given time in the U.S., there are an estimated of 1 million families looking to adopt, many who are seeking infants, which completely outpaces the number of available babies in the country. Adopting through the foster care system isn't really an option for these families because it's an extremely slow and arduous process with a limited number of available infants. For this reason, private adoption agencies, like Always Hope, have sprung up across the country over the last two decades. These private agencies are involved in the vast majority of all domestic infant adoption in the U.S., Sometimes referred to as baby brokering, the private adoption business is very lucrative because the system is largely unregulated. Each state has their own rules, and there is no federal regulation of the industry. It's all about supply and demand. The small number of available infants, combined with the emotions of desperate adoptive parents, has enabled middlemen to swoop in and charge whatever fees they want to and abuse the system. Celeste Liversidge, an adoption attorney in California, said, Anyone that knows or learns the system, it doesn't take much, can exploit those loopholes very easily for financial gain. I guess that's why the private adoption industry in America generates an estimated $19 billion per year in revenue. Tara finished her degree in January of 2013, graduating with a Bachelor's of Applied Science in Human Services and Criminal Justice. She took a part-time job as a legal secretary at Femininio Law Firm in Mount Clemens, her childhood home. She also continued selling products through Pure Romance. By March of 2014, Tara had also started working as an office manager for a company called Elite Trauma Cleanup. Her wages from all three employers were subject to the ongoing garnishments ordered by the court. That same month, Tara and Jeremy filed for Chapter 7 bankruptcy. The list of creditors in the bankruptcy included banks, credit card companies, collection agencies, Macomb schools and government, law offices, auto finance groups in Florida, Tara's grandmother, K&W Cycles, and a student loan through Sally Mae that was listed at $60,800. It's not clear which debts were actually discharged, though, because Chapter 7 bankruptcy has strict rules on what can and cannot be discharged. For instance, certain taxes, attorney fees, court fines and penalties, including criminal restitution and student loans, are not dischargeable. Also, there are several other debts that are not dischargeable under Chapter 7 if the creditor can raise objections with the court. Some examples are credit card purchases for luxury goods, cash advances, or debts obtained by fraud or false pretenses. It's very likely that Tara and Jeremy's bankruptcy 
did not completely wipe out their debts based on these exceptions. Nice try, Tara. Three months after the bankruptcy filing, in June of 2014, Tara and Jeremy purchased a home on Redford Drive in New Haven. The five-bedroom, four-bathroom, 2,060-square-foot home was purchased for $200,000 as Jeremy, Tara, and C&J Equipment Leasing Company. Ownership records dating back to 2012, when the house was built, show the property changing hands between a lumber company, a window company, and C&J Equipment Leasing. There were also several mechanics liens. A mechanics lien is a guarantee of payment to builders, contractors, or construction firms who are involved in a project in the event of a liquidation. The lien stays in force until the project is finished and all construction personnel have been paid. It seems likely that Tara and Jeremy didn't own the home outright because C&J equipment leasing was still owed money. This would explain why the company appeared as an owner along with the lease. The same month they purchased the home, Tara and Jeremy apparently splurged for a new car, too. She posted about it on her Twitter account, saying, House is purchased. Next week, it's time to get a new car. Seems like the bankruptcy really opened up some new doors, literally. Either that, or they were trying really hard to make people think they were better off than they were. In addition to the new house and car, Tara and Jeremy adopted a second baby, supposedly from the same birth mother as their first adopted child. We couldn't find an exact time frame for the second adoption, but there were only four children listed as dependents on the March 2014 bankruptcy. The second adoption would have been their fifth child, so the adoption must have taken place after that. As September 2014 rolled around, Tara started working as an intake coordinator at Naomi's Nest, an alcohol and drug addiction treatment center. Being the intake coordinator meant that Tara would be one of the first people to meet and talk with incoming patients. It seems like working at Naomi's Nest was Tara's first foray into working with at-risk individuals. Perhaps this is where she first met some of the pregnant women who helped her see the plans that God had for her to help these women understand they had choices when it came to their pregnancies. It didn't take Tara long to realize her new calling because only one month after starting at Naomi's Nest, on October 22, 2014, Tara filed the Articles of Organization documents with the state of Michigan for Always Hope Pregnancy Center, LLC. She listed its purpose as Family Planning Options slash Donation Center. As far as we can tell, it looks like she stopped working at all of her jobs by mid-2015 at the latest. Always Hope was definitely looking like it would be Tara's sole source of income. On January 30th, 2015, articles of incorporation were filed with the state of Michigan for Always Hope Pregnancy and Education Center, a nonprofit corporation. According to documents, this corporation differed from Always Hope Pregnancy Center, LLC, 
in that it was formed to educate, empower, and support expectant mothers by educating them about their options. Specifically, the corporation was to be involved with the process of adoption, providing counseling services, promoting holistic care for mothers and their children, and establishing and maintaining funds in order to accomplish those things. This is most likely around the time that Tara started claiming to be a licensed social worker and certified doula. That way, she could offer counseling as well as physical and emotional support to her prospective clients. But why was this important? Why didn't Tara just act as a middleman for the adoption process and then contract out for the other services? Because it was appealing to prospective adoptive parents that Tara had these qualifications. It made Always Hope a sort of one-stop shop for everything adoptive parents and their birth mothers would need. I imagine it being kind of like a real estate agent who brokers both sides of a deal for the buyer and seller. These so-called certifications brought Tara more legitimacy and made her more desirable. Plus, someone with this type of training could charge clients more for providing such services, which might also explain Tara's motives. Tara's current LinkedIn profile states that she received a master's degree in social work from the University of Phoenix in 2014. Aside from that, Tara repeatedly told clients and co-workers that she had a master's in social work from Northwestern University. She even had the framed degree to prove it. And what about being a certified doula? Someone who supports a birthing mother during labor and delivery by offering one-on-one care as well as emotional and physical support. Doulas receive training in what to look for during birth, how to use massage to give a birthing mother comfort, basic anatomy and physiology as it relates to birth, and how to learn the emotional needs of the mother. Doulas are supposed to support the decisions of the birthing mother, not offer their own opinions or have their own agendas. They are trained to support clients by offering evidence-based information about different options in pregnancy and childbirth, explaining medical procedures in a general way, and guiding them through the birth process as it happens. Doulas offer emotional support to help their clients feel cared for and empowered by offering encouragement, keeping them company, and accepting what the clients want, whatever that happens to be. The only physical support a doula should give are things like assisting with a bath or shower, applying cold or warm compresses, helping clients walk if needed, helping them eat or drink, or by using massage or pressure points to offer comfort. Doulas are not medical professionals. They should never give vaginal exams. They shouldn't give medical advice or diagnose any conditions, and they should never make decisions for the client or pressure them into certain choices. The state of Michigan doesn't require a person to be certified in order to be a doula, but it does require basic training, which can usually be done through a workshop over the course of just three or four days. Certification courses are also available throughout the state if someone wanted to get more in-depth training. In a later episode, 
we'll discuss how truthful Tara was being when it came to her qualifications. Shortly after opening Always Hope in Michigan, Tara opened a second location in Jacksonville, Florida. She was expanding rapidly. Either she was having a lot of success in Michigan, or she was casting a wider net for potential clients in a place she already had ties to. The Articles of Incorporation for Always Hope Pregnancy and Education Corporation were filed in Florida on February 5, 2015. Those documents stated the purpose of Always Hope was to assist with connecting expectant mothers to ready and waiting adoptive families, and that Always Hope was, quote, completely expectant mother-focused. Tara's mission statement for Always Hope was merging families over one heartbeat. The mission statement sounds so cringy, knowing what we know now. Anyway, she used this mission statement in varying forms all over different social media platforms, including her Pinterest profile, which to this day states, I am the executive director and founder of Always Hope Pregnancy Center, located in Jacksonville, Florida. We merge families. Tara promised her clients that this wasn't just a slogan. It was her true purpose and desire. Most potential adoptive families were looking for exactly that. They wanted a relationship with their birth mothers, a true union between both families. I can only imagine the peace and comfort this kind of promise must have brought to prospective adoptive parents who'd become so desperate to have a family. Tara definitely knew what she was doing. In fact, she used the merging families line so frequently, it eventually became evidence of her manipulation tactics in a court of law. Tara didn't fit the mold of the typical adoption agency professional. The five foot five inch woman with black hair had multiple ear piercings and a nose ring. She had tattoos running down both arms, as well as on her back, her thigh and hip, giving her an edgy look. She also didn't speak like a typical professional. She had a trucker mouth. Tara explained to her potential adoptive families that she spoke that way because it made it easier to quote, meet mamas where they are. The mothers Tara dealt with most of the time were addicts or people experiencing extreme poverty. And according to her, she spoke like they did in order to make them feel more comfortable. Profanity was Tara's way of connecting with them. Remember, Tara was always known for being likable and easy to talk to. She seems like a chameleon who knows how to make herself relatable in order to connect with people and eventually manipulate them. She often used the fact that she too was an adoptive mother, which meant she could understand exactly what her clients were feeling. Many of Tara's clients remember how the first time they spoke with her, the conversation lasted for hours. She was open, helpful, and answered any questions they had. Most of Tara's prospective adoptive parents didn't mind the way she looked or how she spoke because she always seemed very engaged and extremely passionate about helping the birth mothers she worked with. And it was that passion that people were attracted to. Tara often told prospective clients 
that she was the perfect person to help them on their journeys, even going so far as to say that God must have led them to her. This is why everyone was so enamored with Tara at first. Birth mothers and prospective adoptive families saw her as some kind of savior, bringing families together. Tara charged a flat fee for her services, which included counseling services as a licensed social worker and her doula services. At least $2,500 was due within 24 hours of signing a contract with Tara, sometimes more. Then, additional money would be due for birth mother expenses, which included living expenses, medical expenses, travel expenses, and legal fees. These expenses were usually determined before the adoption so that Tara could tell the prospective parents what their total would be. At least that's the way it was supposed to work with any legitimate adoption agency. Fees usually range between $10,000 and $25,000, depending on the birth mother's situation and how far along she was in her pregnancy. But more often than not, Tara would end up needing more money from her clients for unforeseen birth mother expenses. It would be years before anyone realized that Tara was actually misappropriating the funds. For the first few years of operation, as far as anyone knew, Always Hope was a legitimate, successful adoption agency and pregnancy crisis center operating in both Michigan and Florida. Not every adoption went through, but that wasn't a red flag for anyone, yet. Tara used different means to find prospective adoptive parents, including Always Hope's Facebook page and website. She'd also hooked up with multiple adoption referral agencies across the country. Sometime in 2015, Tara landed in hot water again. That year, she and Always Hope were investigated by the Michigan Department of Health and Human Services and were found to be in violation of numerous licensing regulations. Perhaps some of the violations were related to the fact that Michigan laws surrounding birth mother expenses are very strict. Receipts are needed for everything, and I doubt that Tara could provide them. But the violations weren't enough to get her shut down, and it didn't seem to affect her ability to find clients. Tara traveled back and forth between Michigan and Florida constantly in order to oversee adoptions and tend to her birth mothers, which kept her extremely busy. In September of 2016, according to records, Tara dissolved the Florida company, but it's not clear why. It seems like she may have continued to facilitate adoptions there anyway, because around that time, Michigan lawyers Talia Getting and Tanya Corrado received a phone call asking if they could assist with getting some legal documents signed. Apparently, there was an adoption taking place in Florida, and the birth mother lived in Michigan. Talia and Tanya ran their own family law firm and agreed to help. They met Tara for the first time when she arrived at their office with documents. Tara presented herself as a very busy woman who ran an adoption agency or pregnancy crisis center in Florida, but her family was in Michigan, so she was having trouble juggling everything. 
She seemed like a caring Christian woman who was devoted to her children and to adoption. She was very likable, despite her edgy exterior. Tara also told the lawyers that she was a licensed social worker with a master's degree in social work from Northwestern University and that she was a certified doula. There was no reason not to believe her. So over the course of the next year, Talia and Tanya worked with Tara off and on as lawyers for the adoptive families. A different lawyer from another firm, Maria Penchenko, worked with Tara as the lawyer for the birth mothers. Talia and Tanya realized that with Tara's credentials and her pregnancy crisis center, they could join forces and create a full-service adoption agency where they could help a lot of people because, like Tara, they had adoption stories of their own. Tara was on board with this idea, and they filed incorporation documents in October of 2016 for Always Hope Adoption and Family Services Incorporated to get the ball rolling. The documents were signed by Tara, Talia, and Tanya. No business was actually conducted under that name because they were waiting on certification from the state of Michigan. In the meantime, their dealings with Tara became more frequent. Talia and Tanya soon noticed some oddities in their dealings with Tara. They noticed that Tara always seemed to be in a last-minute crisis situation with a lot of chaos and confusion. A birth mother was at the hospital unexpectedly, or a baby was born and the mother didn't want it. Despite this pattern, there was always a seemingly reasonable explanation for the last-minute nature of things. So, they rolled with it. Talia and Tanya did repeatedly ask Tara to provide proof of her credentials so they could present it to the state of Michigan. But Tara always had an excuse as to why she couldn't provide them. She'd say that she forgot about it because she was so busy, and then she'd disappear for extended periods of time. Tara also told the lawyers that she had health issues like cancer or a heart attack which kept her busy with medical appointments and recuperating. Tara did present to Leah and Tanya with a large, framed, very impressive-looking master's degree in social work from Northwestern University. Tara also gave them a framed pregnancy counselor certification. Both documents seemed legit, so the lawyers continued working on adoptions with Tara. As far as they knew, the adoptions were mostly successful, even though everything was always rushed. At some point in 2017, however, they began noticing more and more adoptions were failing, and then doubt began to creep in. Little things started coming to the surface that were worrisome. For instance, Talia and Tanya would want to contact their clients, but Tara wouldn't allow them to speak directly. Tara seemed to control everything, which was not normal. Also, a growing number of adoptive families began questioning why Talia and Tanya were trying to collect lawyer fees, because the families were under the impression that they had already paid Tara for those services. The problem was, Tara never gave the lawyers any money. Then, on an evening in October of 2018, Talia and Tanya got a phone call from a woman named Julie Falkenberry, and she was very angry. Here's Tanya talking about that moment. We get a phone call from someone 
And it's this woman who basically says, do you even know who you're getting into business with? And what are you talking about? Who were they getting into business with? The lawyers were about to find out, and their lives would never be the same again. Next time on Dirty Money Moves, the sickening truth about always hope comes to the surface. Several sources close to the investigation say Lee is under scrutiny for allegedly promising this same baby to more than one potential adoptive family at a time. Dirty Money Moves is a collaboration between Murderish and Cloud 10 Media. Executive producers are myself, Jamie Rice, and Sim Sarna. Research and writing is done by Gina Mazzolini. Emily Crane does the audio mixing and editing. Josh Cook composed the music, and Brian Stefanik created the podcast cover art. Follow us at Dirty Money Moves on Instagram and TikTok. If you like the show, please do us the biggest favor by reviewing the podcast and leaving us a few stars on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening now. If you're into true crime content, check out my other podcast, Murderish. A list of sources used for this episode is available at Murderish.com. Thanks so much for listening and see you next week for a brand new episode. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the Roaring Twenties. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.